You are listening to episode 238 of the Game Deflators Podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody, here at the Game Deflators Podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we're getting fishy with it in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Very nice, sir. So uh, this week we played some Sega Marine Fishing. Uh, it's actually a game that I've been wanting to play for a long time. I thought, I was under the impression this was something you have done before. I have done this before. I've wanted to play it again, I should say, for a long time. The first time I ever played this game was at a Comp USA in a Dreamcast demo station. Should I, that should give you the idea of like how long it's been since I played that game. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, CompUSA is not a thing, and uh, Dreamcast came out, what, in 2000 or 99 or something like that? If uh, if you remember CompUSA, leave a comment. Yeah, CompUSA forever. Rip Comp. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's actually my first uh, experience of a Dreamcast was at a CompUSA. I remember my, uh, my parents were looking for their first computer, and we were told, get a Mac. And somehow we ended up with a gateway. And there were gateway stores back then too, so I should also give you an idea on uh, on age. Yeah, I remember here. those gateway like with the cow print. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, and like the the Why gateway store. Why was cows related to computers? I have no idea. No idea. Maybe it was a cash cow. That's what it was. Okay. Well, uh, before we get started, you can find the Game Inflators podcast on our out of date website, thegameinflators.com. You can also find us on social media at Game Inflators on Twitter at the Game Inflators on Instagram and Facebook because Twitter doesn't like the. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Just search up Game Inflators. You'll find us on there. And of course, uh, you can find us on the podcast app you're listening to right now. Leave us a five star review if you have not. Give us a follow on any of our channels. We would appreciate it. And now on to what we recently picked up. I'm looking at our notes. Ryan, we both picked up Nada. I mean, you know, I guess it's the show where we usually talk about games we've recently picked up. Yeah, I will say I have to pick up um, the games on PlayStation Plus. So yeah. I'll be taking a look at those. Uh, there was actually uh, Trek to Yomi is actually on there as one of the free games. Wait. Yeah. Oh, I must have played that on Game Pass. Probably. Yeah. Because yeah. I was yeah. like, I've already played that and I definitely <laughs> didn't buy it. <laughs> Did I steal it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It is Game Pass. So um, I guess, yeah, I don't really do the PS Plus stuff anymore. I don't think I have any pickup-ness Coming I, my way. I, I, I would have picked up Street Fighter if, you know, not for still drowning in my own Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> I uh, I picked up some Japanese cooking knives. and That's kind of gaming-ish, it's right? Not, it's, that's it's not like, gaming related. It's like Cooking Mama. So I put Cooking Mama on the side and I get my new Japanese knives and I cut up my vegetables and stuff like Cooking Mama. It's, exa- it's exactly what it is. It's what did you make gaming. with those knives? What did I make with them? Yeah. What's the last thing you cooked, John? Well, they haven't come in yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, the last thing I cooked was uh, actually uh, a Japanese-style steak mm. with a Japanese uh, cucumber and carrot ginger salad. 
Nice. I made a shrimp etouffee. I saw that, actually. I need to get a recipe from you. Okay. Uh, well, this is not the <laughs> podcast where we talk about Welcome to cooking. <laughs> cooking with the Game of Leaders. All right. Uh, currently playing. You challenged me to Hat in Time last week. and uh, That was a couple weeks ago. Okay. Two weeks ago, and I beat it. So um, <laughs> How'd that go for you? So, well, I mean, you saw the final battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cutesy. I mean, it's here's the thing. Like, in terms of... My wife asked me, she she was watching me play, and she says, hey, isn't that a game that you would want to play with me? I said, normally, yes, but Ryan challenged me to play this game, so I have to play it and knock it out. And so she asked me like how it was, and I guess the best way I can go about it is it's not challenging, but it's frustrating. Mm. That's ultimately what it comes down to. There's a lot of situations where you have weird camera angles, that you just can't combat and go around with like, you know, it'll have like the Mario bounce or like jump up on the wall and then hop over to the next wall type of deal. And it's just not as fluid as like a Mario game. Although it is still kind of nice. Um, there's like cable bouncing. So you bounce from like cable to cable type of situation. There's certain jumps that like you have to get it just perfect. Otherwise you will fall to your death. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing is super annoying is how forgiving the game is. So it, it's like a blessing and a curse at the same time. And so if you, like, die in a level, you just kind of start back at your checkpoint with all your health, and then you just kind of keep trying again. If that's the case, then just give me unlimited lives. You know, like, if you're just going to throw me back at the checkpoint... What happens if you run out of lives? You There are, there are no lives. It's just a So a don't you have unlimited of, lives? There's a meter of four hearts. What oh, health. That? Health, yeah. So, okay. yeah, unlimited health, I should say, right? Like, just let me keep playing at that point. Because... It's it's kind of weird. Like you'll get into a level, you'll get as far as you get into it, and then you just go right back to the checkpoint that you're at. Isn't that how every platformer works? Like how is no. Mario different? Because like Mario, if you make it halfway through a Mario level and then you get hit and die, you, you start back. Yeah, at the checkpoint. But if you you have a certain amount of lives, if you don't have unlimited, if you only have five lives and you run out of five lives, you start back at the beginning of the level, right? This has no lives. It's only four hearts. And there's even like a button thing that you can wear as uh, the kid in the hat. Like an extra hit? Where it's like, if you get hit once, you die. Mm. Right? I'm like, that would be frust- even more frustrating like because of how it sets it up. So, for example, the last level I was in was called the Sky Alpine, I think is what it was called, or Alpine Sky or something like that. And it's like, you know, Sherpas, basically. And you are going through like all these different like... Uh, flags to get to all these different levels but the issue is is that to get to the different like main levels you have to get to all these flags right but it's a wider open level and if you die within that you always spawn at the beginning so it would be super frustrating because if for example there's a checkpoint where i'm at in the main level if i died it shows as if i'm being transported back to the beginning of like the main area except it would put me right back at the checkpoint. Mm-hmm. So it goes through all these different load screens and everything else just to put me right back where I was. And it's like, why even go through all of that? Like, just put me where I need to be immediately. Uh, so little things like that were, were kind of bugging me the whole time. But overall, I mean, from a platforming perspective, it's a cute game. Um, it's super easy to go through. Like, I didn't 100% it by all means. I got enough hats to be able to clear it and go into the final, like, battle essentially it's it's a gotcha game too mm-hmm. at the most part so it's like platformer gotcha game type of game where you are actively trying to get like different yarn balls different types of uh items that you can put on display which open up time rifts and those time rift pieces that you get are actually they actually turn into like super mario sunshine levels you know where you have the platform the crazy platforming super mario sunshine did you ever play that 
where you have to collect mm. like the suns. Yeah. Yeah. And they, it's just like this empty space level where it's just pure platforming, right? And they're super hard. Hat in Time does that, except it's like <laughs> super flipping easy. So there was a couple of them that I went through in like 40 seconds, it seemed like. I was just blazing through them. So easy game, just frustrating for certain elements of it. Um, you know, I think if, if you've got a, a younger kid, say 10 or 12, you're trying to get them into platforming, this is actually a pretty good game, I think, to do it. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff tied to it, but it's very much a, a child's platformer, uh, and it shows a lot of the time. But there's also some kind of, I wouldn't say adult themes, but there's some some like nice tongue-in-cheek type of jokes that kind of come through uh, throughout the game that make it kind of fun um, for an adult as well as watching or playing. So o- overall, I thought it was 6 to 7 out of 10 is okay. what I would give it. Well, uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was definitely, dude, it was on my list for a long time to consider playing that. So when you named it, I'm like, sweet. That gives me an excuse to buy it because it was actually on my Amazon list for games to purchase. Perfect. So it worked out. Uh, the other thing I played this week, which I'm, I don't, <laughs> I, it will go unfinished, is Unfinished Swan. So I got to, I think there's four chapters in it. It's like a two-hour game. I got to like chapter three out of the four. And then, I mean, you wanted me to kind of try it out. You were yeah. like, hey, go gun home and finish it. I, I got through three of the four chapters. I had a good time with it. I thought it was pretty cool. Like, it very much like um, uh, What Remains of Edith Finch, um, in which you kind of have this story that's going on, and you're exploring this world and hearing the story and how everything's kind of coming together uh, was pretty cool. I like the, the aspect of you have, like, water balloons or something that you're constantly throwing in one of the levels. Uh, where you have to, like, if you see a letter on the wall and you throw a water balloon, it kind of melts away this paint and opens up another, like, part of the story, and you just kind of listen to it throughout. Um, And it's just lots of puzzling, which I really enjoyed. So I remember the platforming level was pretty cool because you had to, like, hit certain colors, if I recall, and it would drop, like, like, if you hit red, it would drop, like, a ladder. Or if you hit, like, a windmill-type thing, it would open up doors and such and let in light to certain other areas. Then there was a, a part where you get, like, a vine. And to be able to get through the level, you have to put water on the wall and climb up the vine and such So to kind of make your way through. So I thought that was all really cool. Um, each particular chapter or level, for the most part, had uh, a key thing that you utilize to get through to the next part. Um, so I know in like this dark level, you were kicking around an orb and if you were not in the light, monsters of a night would attack you. So it, it was all really cool, uh, in general. And, you know, is it a game that I'd want to finish? Maybe. Um, but it's on, you know, your, your console and I, you know, I don't want to get diving into more games on the, uh, <laughs> on the Vita cause it's gonna, it's going to tempt me to buy one, and that's the last thing I need to do is oh, buy dude, a Vita. The Vita is the best console. I know, man. It's on my eBay watch list, actually. I need to grab one, but right now is just not the time. I'm, I want to play other stuff, and yeah. you know, at this point, I can wait on a Vita. Well, and I just don't think that you are... Like, you go on business trips, and you don't even bring video games. Like, you're not, like, a portable gaming person. I actually... No, I, I really am not. Um, I catch up on movies, usually. So most of my flights, it's very rare that I have a flight anywhere that's like an hour and a half. Most of my flights are like four or five hours when I go on business trips because either like 
Orlando or DC or Chicago is when I'm, where I'm usually flying. It's very, very rare that they're like, hey, we want you to go to Vegas or Texas yeah. or uh, California. Like, I, I just don't get that that often. Um, like, I know when I would go out to San Diego uh, a couple times a year, it was like a 45-minute flight. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing for Vegas, like less than an hour to go to Vegas. So I can never, like, what am I going to do? Like, hop on a plane, play like 30, 40 minutes at most of my game, and then get off and then I'm in business, you know? I mean, it depends on, like, the type of game you're playing. But, I mean, that's what Tentris was invented for, my friend, and well, the Game Boy. So for I, businessmen I on their way to business. I would occasionally play emulators, but yeah. then I learned very quickly. I was like, man, why am I playing an emulator when there's so many great movies that I don't get to watch at home? Because I just don't watch movies at home either. Like, that's the thing. We usually watch TV or we play games. So I don't get to see a lot of, like, unless I'm going to a theater. And now that I have a kid who's under one, I'm not doing a lot of theater you know, experiences either. So I'm now, not a big movie person, so I always default to games on trips. Yeah, see, I, I love watching movies, uh, especially like, because my wife is not a big fan of like dramas or Oscar-worthy type films, and, and I am. So whenever I go on those trips, I usually watch binge. movies. Yeah, I binge like two movies one way, usually. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'll, when I'm in my hotel room, I'll catch up on like other movies on Netflix and such that I haven't had a chance to watch. Like that's just what I do on trips. It's, it's not gaming, but you know, I, I've done some portable gaming here and there. It's just not my go-to. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't it's game my in... favorite. So it's like, yeah, we're, we're very opposite in that way. I guess I never really realized till now. Well, I, I can't game in a car. I get car sick. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, gaming in my house, like I have PlayStation, other things like, yeah. why would I have mobile game in my house? And when I'm out and about, I'm busy. I'm not, I'm not like just hanging back waiting for like an hour and a half, two hours to do something. And most times nowadays, if I have to go run an errand and like, I don't know, get my tire changed or something like that. It's usually during business, like work hours, not on a weekend. Cause if it's a weekend, my wife just drops the car off with me and we come back home. Right. If it's a weekday, I have my laptop with me for work. So I'm like working at a mechanics office. So yeah. there's just no time for mobile gaming in, in my life. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, currently playing for you. Uh, so I'm still playing Zelda and I am learning more and more all the time. I just, so there's uh, so much in this game and it can be really hard to find a direction and kind of go with it. Like I've been kind of just spending the last few weeks just kind of meandering, doing this, that, or the other um, you know, I've done two of the four like main places. I'm really starting to feel like I'm going to go to a third one of those here pretty soon, but I've explored a lot more of the underground. Uh, I've explored a lot more of just kind of some different things on the overworld too. Um, for example, there's these cherry blossom trees and I've seen them and I didn't really know what they were for. And I talked to the lady and I guess I just never really paid attention or decided to follow up on what she was actually saying but like if you put a piece of fruit in this offering plate this crazy weird animal will come out and it'll highlight like all of the caves in the area so it's like oh cool now i don't have to just like go randomly run into these caves like i could actually go to all these trees and just be like okay let me just go do some cave hunting for a while or you know i could go do you know underground stuff for a while like you need these seeds when you go into the underground that create light so 
I'll kind of go do underground stuff until I run out of seeds. And then I'll go do something else on the surface. Nice. So trying to find like different things to follow up on. Um, doing different building stuff has been a lot of fun uh, since I got the auto build feature and have been able to start, you know, trying to look at some cool things. I haven't made like any of the like Metal Gear Rex or <laughs> giant robots or anything that people have been making online. But I have found like a couple of uh, like a hover bike and an off-road bike that are pretty useful to make. And I've built those and those are fun. Um, some of the things that I think that are really you know, what people talk about with this game, I feel like they don't phase me as much. Like, I actually quite enjoy the weapon system now. Like, it still sucks that they break, but I feel like when you have so many ways to fuse and create different weapons, like, I'm trying to make different things, and, you know, I'm often making the same things, but, like, I feel like all my weapons are kind of continuously growing. Like, I, I'm sure I'll reach a point probably soon where, like, most of the weapons that I'm going to have are going to be, like, I'm not going to be able to find stronger things yet. So if you break a weapon, are you able to repair said weapon? No. Or is it a, it's gone forever? No. So it's, like, almost every enemy in the game is something that has, like, a weapon. And you find weapons in chests and just on the ground and stuff, too. Gotcha. But, like, all of the weapons, like, when the upheaval happened for some reason all of the weapons decayed so they're all like crappy and they've got all this nasty stuff on them but whenever you kill like any enemy they all drop like a horn or something that you could fuse onto the weapon to make it now it's a not just a knight sword now it's a knight sword with a captain horn on it level three and it's 40 instead of 10 strong gotcha that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Dark Cloud. The weapon system in Dark Cloud is very much the same. Like, you can fuse and create different weapons and, and whatnot, which is nice, except for the fact that when it breaks, it's permagon, and you always yeah. found yourself like, oh, crap, i got to restart the level at this point to get my weapon back. Mm-hmm. But you get, you know, more weapon slots, and you're always trying to keep, like, certain things. Like, I always like to have, like, a big rock stick that I can smack boulders with if I need to go mine some minerals or something. And I like uh, a strong spear so that if I'm up against something that's like a little intimidating, I can kind of keep it at bay. I don't have to get as up close and personal. You know, I've got a couple of different shields. One I always try to keep open so that if I find a rocket, I can fuse it onto it so that I can do a rocket jump. Or I've got one that always has a mine cart on it or one that has like is a wooden shield instead of a metal shield because if you're out and it's storming and you have anything metal on, you're likely to get struck by lightning. So you try to keep a balanced inventory of, you know, different things that are going to be useful in different situations. And I feel like the fusing mechanic has really made it so that, like, rather than just having, oh, here's my strongest weapon that I'm just going to use until I find a stronger weapon... Like maintaining an inventory of different weapons with different uses based off of the area you're in, I find that to be more interesting and compelling than frustrating. Um, I think that the, you know, there's so much to this game, and I'm definitely not going to get through all of it, but I keep running into like little side story missions or, you know, just a little thing here or there and they all make me like 
want to keep going and like I mean even though they're very simple NPCs that just have like a few lines of dialogue like they're all like charming and compelling and they've got that you know vibe where like I believe when I roll up to the stable that like these other travelers are coming into the stable and the guy's going to shut up set up his shop and somebody's in the corner reading the newspaper and I could go talk to them about like whatever you know they'll be talking about something that I was doing recently yeah, you know, and then there's going to be a its own little mission kind of over here nearby where you're doing something, and probably a fairy fountain over there. You know, all of these different settings are like so put together and make this world feel so much richer. I think than the last game in a way that like I want to keep going back to these places just to kind of see them and pass through again. It's a really big world, and I still have a lot left to see, but. I do get kind of excited about coming back to someplace later just because there's so much game, I'm likely to forget it and be able to see it like fresh again. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. So I'm still very compelled. I'm still going down that road. Um, I did miss most of SGDQ was this week. I just kind of caught that a little bit yesterday. So I'm going to go back through and watch a bunch of the VODs this week. And then other than that, that's about it. I need to get... Uh, darkness from you yeah remind me uh after we record to give you darkness yep and actually i've got uh darkness 2 right there boom yeah maybe that's what i play next we'll see we'll see so that's uh that's all for this week i guess we can move on to our discussion topic yeah so um a lot of collectors, like myself, we find ourselves in the, uh, I, I like to call it the Netflix effect, where you have all of us media and content and such in front of you, and you're like, I don't got any movies to watch. I don't have any shows to watch. Because you're presented with so much, you just don't know what to do next, right? Mm-hmm. And I always find myself in that dilemma of video games. You know, I'll, I'll finish up a game, and... I just look on the shelf. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I want to play next. And that's where I'm in right now. Like you kind of heard me a while back, you know, I had said, I'm going to play, uh, like it was, um, God, uh, stray was the game that I was saying, Hey, I really want to play this. Then we had other games that came across, you know, we had our premium edition games and such that we were playing. And then donut County was another one that I quickly played little things that kind of filled in the gap in between. But stray was ultimately like game that was like, man, I really want to play this when I get the opportunity. Now I'm, I'm kind of like in that mode again. Like I don't know what I'm gonna play cause I just beat hat in time. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of along the lines of like, do I play Wulong Fallen Dynasty and pick that up? Because I've heard some good things and it's kind of like a Sekido type of uh, style game. Or do I just look at something in my collection, right, that I need to play? And that's really the dilemma, right? You just have all this content. And so, you know, I kind of pose the question to you on like, how do you, you know, choose what to play next? And ultimately, like, for me, it's, I guess it's more so what's going to take a certain amount of time right? So can I beat this game in 40 hours? Can I beat it in 60 hours? Or can I beat it in five hours or 10 hours, right? So kind of considering my time on that and like what I want to knock out versus like what I'm in the mood for. So if I'm in the mood for an RPG, do I want to dive into an RPG that's 60 hours long? Or do I think 25 hours long is about right? Which is why um, Cardia World of Fate came up, right? As one of those games for me to play because it's about a 30-hour RPG. It feels like you spent way more time than that on it. (laughs) You know what? The main reason on that is because I kept falling asleep. 
I've gotten into a better habit now where I'll drink like a cold brew at like 6.30 or so. And it generally will allow me to stay up till about 11 okay. now. And so I, I can play through those games and I don't have any issues. Um, as so, I'm sitting here yawning. <laughs> yeah, as you're sitting here yawning, right? So like tonight I'll probably pick something up to play and, um, you know, I'll, I'll have a cold brew actually before we do D&D tonight. And that'll kind of help keep me up. But that said... Um, you know, like I just finished a, what, a six hour, seven hour game of Hat in Time. I just finished another game prior to that with Donut County and Stray, which were both like four, four hour games and a two hour game. So I really think like my next step here is RPG. Like really that's kind of the next, like, I mean, that's your bread and butter. It, it's my bread and butter. And there's a lot of games that I've wanted to play for years. I probably won't go tactical. I'll probably go for something that's a little more story heavy. Um, now, the real question comes up, right? Do I go PS3? Do I go PS2? Do I go old school with PS1? You know, that's kind of where that dilemma comes in now, right? Like, I've got so many RPGs. Which is the one that I dive into? And uh, Probably which, not another tactical. Not another tactical, because that put me to sleep, dude. There's Have you no, played Lost Odyssey? Uh, you know, I haven't, and that dude. is on my list. But I'm kind of wanting to pick up an Xbox One. And you can then, play it on there. Yeah, I know. I'm trying. I'm kind of wanting to pick up an Xbox One to get rid of the 360s and to just play, you know, on Xbox One instead. Because mm. I have Xbox One games as well that I just don't play. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody like I know everybody else has that exact same issue. So I would really be interested to hear in, in comments or reading comments like, what is their process of elimination? My process of elimination is literally if I have four RPGs I want to play, I kind of line them all up and then I analyze like. Pros and what cons. pros and cons on playing each one, right? So, oh, this one's tactical. Okay, let's knock that out. Oh, that's eighty hours, and eh, let's knock that out. Okay, we're presented with two fifty-hour games, right, or forty-hour games. What, which one has better ratings, right? Which one is JRPG style with like maybe anime type characters? Which one's more like photorealistic style? Uh, you know, have weighing you, those types of options. Have you played much of the Tales of series? You know, I I have not played. Uh, the Tales series, um, but I'm I've been kind of leaning on playing Ease, like the oh Ease. the Ease games. Yeah, I've been kind of leaning on that. God, but... it was forever before I learned that that was pronounced Ease. I was like, Wise, Wise, <laughs> they call in at that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I remember why, uh, Ease uh, Ark of Napishtim. I was like, Why Ark of Napishtim? That makes no sense. Like, who names a game that? Well, they're but... always throwing in like an X, which right. means cross. Yeah, so it's like you see all those games that's like. Street Fighter X Tekken, but it's Street Fighter Cross Tekken is how they pronounce or would say it. There's actually an RPG I have. I think it's called Cross Edge on the PlayStation 3. That's actually one I've had my eye on too. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's I think that's where I'm leading right now. I got to do a little process of elimination and, and kind of go that route. Uh, what's the other one? The one of like the Black Spirit type character? Okami. Not Okami, sorry. Uh, Hokage? Hokage. No, is it Hokage? Okage. Okage. Hokage is the leader of the ninja village. Yeah, it was like, God, man, we <laughs> messed up on three different things. Why did I say Okami? I think it's close enough. Uh, it has an O. So, um, yeah, Okage Shadow King is probably on that short list, too. I don't know much about that other than the town is cursed with speaking pig Latin. And that's what you're trying to overcome. I, dude, it's it's been so long since I messed with with anything tied to PS2 RPGs, so... Uh, mainly because of where it's located in my house. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly, I need to finish Terra Enigma. So, like, I mean, there you go. What do you right, mean like, where it's located in your house, dude. Get some. You've got headphones. Get a long cable. Plug it in. Oh man, like I don't know. It was just something about having to like stay upstairs 
and baby sleeping in one room and having to try and keep quiet and my wife sleeping right next to the wall like i don't know it's just it's a pain in the ass to play up there but my super nintendo and retron are up there and i do need to complete terranigma so that could be on the list too so yeah i don't know how about you man when you have so all these options available to you of course chaos reigns in my life and i just if i want to play something else i drop what i'm playing and i pick something else up and i do it all the time for things like you're like the chaotic evil of this discussion. Well, no, it's just that like we were talking earlier, you know, there's so much opportunity cost with your time and I just don't feel compelled to have to finish a game if I'm not going to, you know, have the time for it. Like, and I, th- I think maybe this is like, maybe this is because I did like a lot of blockbuster and didn't beat most of those games, so I've just always kind of been okay with not finishing games. Care to explain Blockbuster to the kids listening? Uh, So back in the day... (laughs) um, Yeah, but like when, you know, you only had so much time with a game and you couldn't get through it, you know, if you... If it wasn't on like a PlayStation with a memory card, you were out of luck. You were not going to get your save file back. You were either going to have to start over or... Hope, you know, you did get the cart back and somebody else spared your file and started a new one. But, like, there were so many times that I've been, like, I don't know. It's like a Saturday or a Sunday and I'm feeling just in a certain mood. And it's like, man, I would really love to, like, play some RPG right now. Just something that's, like, you know, gives me those, like, vibes. So it's, like, maybe I'll boot up you know, Paper Mario again, or, you know, I'll really pick up something new to try in that instance because it's like, I more just want like to do the thing than to like, I tried that once with um, Octopath Traveler and I was like, God, starting a new RPG is like reading for a half hour. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it doesn't, picking something up new is always kind of like, you know, how, what am I getting into? But like, with Game Pass, the opportunity cost is also really low because I don't necessarily have to own it or purchase it. I can just try something to try it. Yeah. So that's fun. I mean, so many people just like, you know, play only the newest thing that just came out or play so many indie titles that they're always playing something brand new. So, like, I feel like a lot of people will, you know, kind of churn through things. But eventually, everybody kind of does reach a point at some point where they're like, I don't know what I want to play next. And other people will go back and revisit, you know, something familiar or like gather speedrunners out there that like they just play one game over and over and over and over. So That's true. Yeah. There's all kinds of different approaches and there's all kinds of different ways. Like if you are in that rut, maybe try something different like. If you don't know what to play, but you just want to play something, you know, maybe boot up Mario and just see, you know, like, okay, what's, you know, what are the levels you absolutely have to do to get through the game and how fast can I do that? You know, mix it up for yourself or, you know, go back and do, I've thought in the past of like, maybe an interesting idea for like a show would be resuming wherever you left off at some game in the past. Like, I'm sure I have so many saves on consoles for games that it's like, okay, what was happening and what was I supposed to be doing next? You know what? You're kind of inspiring me to boot up .hack. I I think uh, 
you know, we talked with Rue of the Retro Room a while back, and we were talking about like different game series. And that's actually his new game's resolution, if I recall. Mm. Um, and yeah, Dot Hack is one that I think it was the second game. Uh, I know I beat the second game. I was moving on to the third, and I've got my original save files, and I just never completed them. Yeah. So I, I'm, that's another one, and that's actually a fun game. See, I like those. Like, I, and that's the other thing, too. Sometimes when you want to play a game you might want a certain aspect from that game but games come with a lot of extra baggage beyond just that you know like okay i want to play an rpg okay well this one has a bunch of you know town building mechanics that you have to deal with it or this one has a whole bunch of cutscenes that you're going to have to watch or this one has no voiceover at all. It's you got to read the whole thing. You know, there's always going to be those things that are in a game that maybe, you know, you weren't realizing going in. And like, are you somebody who often bounces off of something? Or like, if you pick up a game, are you like, okay, I'm getting, I'm just going to get all the way through it? Uh, you know, when I pick up a game, I try to get all the way through it. I don't try to bounce. I do try to complete them when I can. Uh, usually, if I bounce, it's because something came up in my life that has forced me to kind of pause and then I forget and like the South Park game stick of truth right mm. I'm like at the very end of that game and I still haven't beat it oh my favorite place to leave a game yeah right right before the right end right before the end see I and that's the thing like I think starting a game is more fun for me than finishing a game because it's like a lot of the times at the end of games now you get there and they're like did you do everything are you, you sure you want to move forward? Uh, you There's know a lot of game here left. You might never come back to this game again. You know what's a game that I bounced from a long time ago? Final Fantasy IX. Yeah, I heard that that's coming up for a remake, and maybe we'll see something announced for that soon. <laughs> yeah, right. One disc every two years for four discs total. Yeah. No, no, that. not not in the the remake sense, but like a remaster. Yeah, they already did that. I thought. No, didn't they? No, they did the Pixel Remaster Collection. No, I mean, like, there's a Play Asia set you can get that I think is like Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9 that have, like, HD remaster on it. I mean, but it's not, like, a wide release thing. Like, no. if you're going to download Final Fantasy 9, you're going to download a, a I don't know. PlayStation 1 version. I'll have to check. But I have Final Fantasy 9. It might be worth me diving into that again, too. I mean, there you go. There's the dilemma, Final Fantasy right? 9 is one of those ones that I've started up a bunch of times but not ever gotten like most of the way through. And last time I booted it up, I did buy it, I think on PlayStation 4 or Vita or something. But now all of those games have like, um, you know, deal max damage or skip battles or like all these other things. You can move two times speed yeah. and you can like blow through those games. And it's like, sometimes when I'm thinking about an RPG, I think, if I was just going to want to pick one up, having those accessibility options makes that barrier to entry a little bit easier. Yeah. And maybe you can get a little bit more out of it than just, you know, what you could in that day. Like maybe being able to get through an extra hour of the game faster is going to hook you quicker, keep you in. Yeah, true. These are all kind of related to this. But yeah, just like, you know, let us know when you want to play a game and how you go about doing that, what you think about, what comes into it. What are you yeah. playing next? 
Final Fantasy IX, probably. All right, <laughs> let's dive into some discussion here, uh, or not discussion, some of the uh, topics that have come up this week. Uh, the first one is Activision Blizzard fires World of Warcraft game designer for making fun of corporate greed. And this is Kyle Barr at Gizmodo that wrote this one up. Uh, so long story short, basically, uh, a guy put in some uh, language into World of Warcraft for a goblin uh, that talks about corporate greed and pretty much is like a tongue-in-cheek type of joke towards, you know, corporations. And uh, Activision Blizzard did not take kindly to that and fired the guy. But that's not really what the issue is. The issue is the fact that it went past certain types of levels to get from writing to actual design and in the game. And they promoted that stuff and then fired the dude. Yeah, no, nobody, like, it's very difficult, I would say, probably in the modern era for a, an individual game dev to be able to hide something in a game that gets out there and people find. Like, that's got to be really hard. Yeah. This was not that. This was, hey, um, we need you, uh, our employee, to write some dialogue for one of the characters in the game. And then we're going to go through all the approvals. I, I don't know if this was voice recorded or, or what, but like this went all the way through and got implemented. And then at the end of the day, they decide, you know what? We paid you to do all that and we paid a lot of other people to stamp it and we published it out there and then we promoted it. And now you're axed for putting that in there. And this isn't like he wasn't putting stuff like, man, Blizzard is a tyrant or something. He said uh, things like, let's call this a cost of living adjustment and no profit sharing. That's actually pretty hilarious. It looks like another yacht for me. That's Time honestly... to go back to the office. These are funny things. And this makes like all of their PR stuff look even so much worse. Like how can you say you're trying to change your corporate culture when you're like being such a, tyrant corporate overlord yeah. that you're coming down on your own staff for doing what you told them to do basically and you can't even like you can't even poke fun at yourself a little bit and just let that exist even though it's not explicitly about you that's why everybody has a problem with you yeah I you mean, know, that's not it. The problem is that you do all kinds of illegal, awful shit. What they need to do to smooth this over of all their employees who are angry about this is throw them a pizza party. That's usually oh, what that always fixes usually what corporations do. Yeah. At least shitty corporations. That's what they do. Mine, mine doesn't throw us pizza parties. Yeah. We don't get them. Uh, we, we do get food, just not pizza. This is so <laughs> dumb. And I was so... Like, John sent this to me, and it just, like, it enraged me. I, I couldn't believe this story, and... I'm happy to help boost the message that Blizzard fucking sucks. <laughs> and I'm not going to be like, you know what? If that, I hope that deal doesn't go through so that I'm not tempted to play more Blizzard stuff again in the future. Like I know Diablo 4 just came out and it looks great and I would be totally down to play some if it was free on my Xbox. But guess what? Maybe not. <laughs> You're like, I will refuse to play the free stuff. I mean, there's a ton of free stuff I don't play. Yeah. All right. You could Let's, be one of them, Blizzard. It could be. Actually, you are currently. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let us know what you guys think about that one. Um, I thought it, it was a pretty shitty move by them in general. And, and the way that they, of course, lined it up was like, 
uh, it was against like company policy because he was, you know, slandering the company basically. Right. Yeah. It's like, come on. Like there's, like you said, there's an approval process. Even in my company, if I want to do anything tied to my job that goes into the market that the public is going to see, somebody writes the content. I check it. It goes through a QA process where multiple people look at it and say, yep, it's good to go. This is okay content. And then goes back to me to review and then it goes to somebody else to review and then it's put in the market. Like it's so hard, even for like minimal, like advertising, it's so minimal to get something out there. So you got to imagine with game design, it had to have gone through multiple layers before it got hidden to market. Yeah. So it definitely sucks for that guy, but hopefully he can uh, open up a nice little lawsuit. That'd be nice right. um, for 68.7 million or billion. I should say, uh, all right, our next thing here is a rare Mega Drive game has sold for nearly $10,000, and this is Chris Scullion at Video Game Chronicle. This was bucks. crazy. The only way this could have been a weirder article if this was, like, water-graded. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this was, uh, there was, what is it, Celtics versus Lakers on the Mega Drive? Not the Sega Genesis, but the Mega Drive-specific copy is what is what is rare here because like the celtics versus lakers is like a five dollar game normally this went for like i think it was eight thousand pounds did it say so it was seven thousand eight hundred and seventy pounds or ninety eight hundred usd yeah so yeah this was uh, a game that was apparently never really released like this game was supposed to come out and i guess at the last minute you know, they weren't able to get the NBA licensing in the UK or something, and they wound up pulling their shipments. But somehow, from their records, uh, apparently 192 copies were sold. And as of now, a total of 13 copies of the PAL version are known to exist. So there's like, you know, over 100 and you know, 70 or 80 something other copies out there potentially that could be, you know, valuable in quotes. But the thing is the game is exactly the same. There's no difference between it and the U S version. It's purely the packaging. So if yep. you've got the complete inbox, man, you've got yourself a nice little ticket there, but <laughs> otherwise you've got yourself a $5 US game. What's what's really crazy when you think about this too is there's potentially 179 copies out there in the wild. We'll just say 179. It's more like probably 100 that are sitting out there that are in people's attics and they, and they just have no idea what they have. I don't even think that, dude. This is a sports game. Like nobody values sports games. Like I'm sure that this game nobody knew that it was this rare and it's gone for so long without anybody realizing that it's probably most of them are lost of time like if there's only 13 known copies i'd say it'd be a stretch if there were still another even 50 left uh dude you never know i mean honestly i come across garage sales and stuff all the time I'm not saying that i find rare games yeah but like games that are 15 20 dollars and they're like oh a dollar you know like for that game or it's like here's a yeah but would you titles. ever buy a sports game exactly but that's the thing like if you're looking for garage sales or something like yeah you might not be looking for sports games specifically but generally if you're a high-end collector you would know okay that's a rare title and like collectors usually know if something's rare or not like people that are actively collecting titles so, like, I've known that this game is a rare game, 
but it's a UK Mega Drive game. So am I going to come across this in the US? Highly unlikely. It's oh, you've heard about this before? Yeah. Yeah, oh. I knew this game was super rare. Um, it was just cool that it sold for nearly $10,000. So yeah, I knew about this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, so if I was to go out, like, I've, I have come across, when I worked at the game store, I oh, God, I was so pissed about this. There's a game that was like supposed. I think it was like less than a few hundred copies were released on the Super Nintendo, and the game's worth like thousands of dollars now. I don't. It's like a biking type game. Um, there was a a little shop in the flea market. Apparently, the owner had that game sitting there, and in fact, the same game was sitting in my shop, and I didn't know about it because I just started right, and I just started collecting again. And that game was sitting in our shop for like ten dollars, thousands of dollars is what it was worth. And we had it labeled at $10 when we were doing like, a, and people go in that store in and out collectors all the time. Nobody knew what it was. So it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, if you are somebody has in your attic and it's sports games, you probably think, Oh, I'll just throw it out or I'll donate it or I'll get, I'll sell it at some other time. And it just sits there and collects dust. That's kind of what we had. We had a lot of games in the back as well that some of them were super rare. And when I, after a while, as I started digging into stuff, I'm like, why aren't, why isn't this on the shelf? Like, this is actually worth money. Like when I got my Vectrix originally, it was sitting in the back of the store mm-hmm. and it wasn't working. It was broken, but they're like, yeah, go ahead and take it. We don't know what it is. We're not going to sell it anytime soon. We can't yeah. test it. We don't have any games. That's literally the conversations that we had. So, well, and the Vectrix is such its own anomaly too. But even then it was like a two, $300 console broken, I think. At the time, and now it's worth more now, complete in box. But I mean, you're talking about stuff that we had back there that was worth decent money, and we just, you know, nobody thought anything of it. So I can see it being the same situation here. So I, I do think there could be 50 to 100 copies maybe hanging out in the UK that just nobody knows. It's, nobody's thinking twice about it, you know? So. All right, uh, on to the next thing here. Uh, Pathfinder Creator shares the final draft of a D&D OGL rival. Uh, and this is Molly, is that Molly? Molly Russell at, at War- Wargamer.com. All right, Ryan, kick us off here. Uh, yeah, so we all remember what happened last year. Was that last year? Was that early this year? I don't know. Time. I don't know, man. There's, the COVID thing messed everything up. Yeah, yeah. COVID timeline is like, it's like the flashpoint. Yeah. So sometime within the last year, I would say, D and D did their whole you know open GL debacle that became a catastrophe, and you know, I mean, eventually, I guess they somewhat kind of salvaged the situation. But here's Paizo doing their level best to you know do what they do and stick it to D and D and try to you know do better than what Wizards is doing in their own way. So they've had a few drafts of this. This is their final draft coming out. I've never played Pathfinder. Never looked at the rules. I know that it's all very similar. So I hope that everybody's very happy with where this landed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's a little too little too late here. Um, not too little too late in the sense that, um, you know, it shouldn't happen. And it's not worthwhile to do something like this. But... I think they should have captured this a little better when they were in the moment, right? Like everybody's kind of forgotten about the whole debacle with D and D, right? Like it skipped my mind completely. Cause you gotta think there's some new D and D books that came out, right? Cool stuff there. Uh, and there's also the D and D movie, which I think a lot of people enjoyed that. And that kind of, you know, 
glossed over the situation that was present before. It was like, oh man, they released a great D&D movie. So everybody's hyped about it. And so Paizo coming out with this now, I mean, you, it was difficult for me to actually find this article. I was like, man, I want to get something D&D related. And this was like buried in the overall topics. I'm like, this is actually pretty cool that they're moving forward with this. But they're kind of a little late to the game, I think. Well, I mean, so the thing is, like, it's not like this is going to promote any new product. This is just going to secure the lineage for the open source use of their rules moving forward. For Pathfinder specifically. Yeah. And I think Pathfinder had a, I mean, they were sold out of their book pretty regularly, actually, after the whole debacle. So it's kind of great for those players that are there. But this is something that if they could have said, hey, our final draft is going to be done on X date, look out for it. Like, really kept promoting this during that time where, you know, Hasbro was down in the dumps from everything that was happening. I think they could have taken a little bit more of, like, in the moment and got people hyped for this. Whereas now it's just kind of an afterthought, right? Like, oh, it's Pathfinder. Cool. You know, like, unless you got into Pathfinder during the whole OGL thing before with D&D, you're probably not getting into it right now. Well, I mean, this isn't for like a new Pathfinder product. This is so that third-party companies can make their own products. I know. And that's the thing. It's not as relevant now as it was like four months ago. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's still, you know, D&D is still growing that whole gaming industry. Yeah. And riding off the back of like the D&D movie and stuff like... I, I, I don't know. I guess if they had gotten their rules together earlier, but I think the point here really is that this is their third draft of this and they want to make sure they do it right. Yeah, I get it. I just wish they could have done a little more on the front ends, you know, what, like taking advantage of the situation to kind of make this a bigger thing than what it is today. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. Like I totally agree with it and I, I've heard great things about Pathfinder, but is this something I really want to dive into? Probably no. not. You know, now that I've got all my D&D stuff, I could do D&D campaigns for the rest of my life at this point, given what I got. All right. Last piece that we have here is our inflation deflation. I am wondering if people can hear my son screaming on the other side of that door. Uh, we played some Sega Marine Fishing. Uh, this what? Do you have a, a plot? Oh, <laughs> I'm reading the notes. I see your plot. The plot. You uh, fish. You fish. Uh, so Sega Marine Fishing was developed by WoW Entertainment. Wow. Uh, It was published by Sega. It was directed by uh, Tomoyuki Nishimura. It was released in October of 2000. It is a sports game, or otherwise known as a fishing game. Uh, Reception is a 7 to an 8 out of 10. And the plot is you catch fish. uh, And a lot of them. And and you don't hit hit any balloons. You hit no balloons. No balloons at all. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you want to dive into uh, the mechanics and such here. Oh, dude, I'll cast off. So we uh, <laughs> we played this with the like uh, peripheral controller that is a the fishing, fishing, the fishing rod, rod peripheral. Yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Um, it took us a couple tries to get everything plugged in the right way, but eventually we got it working. Um, you know, it's a fishing game. There's there's fish and there's lures. And you can go to the shallows, or you could go you mean, to the... You mean shallows. Shallow. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the voice work, not the most impeccable on this game, but, you know, it's a fishing game. Like, it's as least as, servable, uh, as serviceable as Big the Cat would Carl normally Rafe. be. Carl Rafe. Yeah. Like, I almost would have believed Big was in this game. But the... Uh, well, maybe not that bad, I guess. The... Uh, 
mechanics of fishing with the fishing rod we can't really attest to how it works with the controller because we didn't do that but with the fishing rod controller it's got some like tilt kind of you know lean the rod in the opposite direction of the fish you know it's got the what do you call the windy part that the, you spin around um the, the well the reel the reel <laughs> yeah so it's got the reel that you spin in uh and some buttons and I mean, when you're fishing, you're you've got a meter at the bottom that's telling you the tension on your line, and you've got to lean that controller in the opposite direction of the fish, reel it in, but not too much, otherwise the line will break or the fish will get off or or whatever. It's pretty fun, honestly. Like I can see why they adapted this from the arcade for the home console and made that like if you were really into the fishing arcade games, like you could definitely have a lot of fun with this at home. I mean, it's Dreamcast graphics, so it's in that wheelhouse for me where I think it's very acceptable. I think so, too. But a more modern audience really might be turned away from it. Uh, I thought that, you know, there was a lot of different variety in the fish that we saw. There's not a lot of different variety in the gameplay or the locations. There were some mini games we tried out. Uh, a collection to kind of help you out. One was like to teach you about like the reeling mechanics. One was to teach you casting, and that one was awful. No, my yeah. my friends, there's you're standing on a dock, and there's balloons floating across in front of you, and you just have to hit them with your lure. But the depth perception is so incredibly misleading, and the timing. Oh my god, it was so ridiculous that we just literally sat there for like eight minutes missing over and over we hit two balloons in eight minutes and we got 20 points yeah. or 10 minutes right it was longer than four yeah, minutes 99 you said. red balloons can't hit them yeah with your- <laughs> it was awful um but it didn't detract from the game i think it almost made it more fun as a novelty for us but it made me really reflect on the game as we were playing it i told john i was like you know i see us sitting here we're playing this is a novelty for fun for the podcast, and we're going to talk about it. But people were amped back in the day. Two people just like you and me sat on a couch, but they were drinking beer, and they were having a balls-to-the-wall good time playing this game. And I really think that, you know, it was quite a bit of fun. And I would definitely, as a fishing game, say that this is probably the best fishing game I've played. Yeah, this was, this was a ton of fun. I totally agree with you. Um, you know... The variety of fish was actually surprising to me. Uh, it's been a long time since I played the game, but there were sharks. There were different types of tuna that we caught. There were mahi-mahi. There was barracuda, uh, stingray. There was an octopus I think we could have caught. Uh, lots of really interesting things, and obviously different types of lures that are going to be for different types of fishing. So if you're in the shallows, you probably want a popping lure. If I learned in, a lot about fishing from John today. You did, actually. If we're looking for deep water, we're probably looking for a metal sinking lure or something that you know is actively diving. So there were little things like that, depending on the, the level and where we were, um, you wanted to use a certain type of lure. So I thought it was good. Uh, it's been a long time since I played this one. I always wanted to play it again. And uh, funny enough, I've had that fishing peripheral for years. I picked it up for like five bucks at a thrift store one time and just Goodbye. never, yeah, right, and just never did anything with it. Main reason being is I had no fishing games until I recently had that massive pickup uh, earlier in the year that I 
spent whatever amount of money on mm-hmm. to get all those Nintendo and Sega Dreamcast games and such. And that's where you got that. That's where I got this. So yeah, I was I was super ex- when I saw that game, I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I'm looking <laughs> at, you know, Skies of Arcadia and Chrono Trigger, and I'm like, fuck yeah, saltwater fishing. So I had a lot of fun. And, and there's a Sega bass game too. Yeah, that that's I, the one I, I saw there. coming up when I was looking up the peripheral. Yeah, online. maybe that's one to play as well down the road. So yeah. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I would say it's seven to eight out of 10. I, I would say it's more on an eight for me as far as fishing games are concerned. I, I thought it was good. It makes me want to see what a modern fishing game, like, have there been more yeah. innovations? Uh-huh. Yeah. There's, well, I don't know about like reeling and stuff, but there's definitely fishing games that have come out in the last, you know, five years. Uh, well, it wouldn't be the same without the reel though. I think there are some that have, I want to say the switch has a reel for a game. Yeah. So, all right, let's look at some brass tacks here. So, a complete in box will run you at twelve twenty seven. That peaked at fourteen ninety nine in September of last year. It's trending down right now. A loose copy will run you nine sixty one. That peaked at nine oh six in February of twenty twenty two, and that is trending up for a loose copy. You know, for me, I think that fourteen ninety nine price is actually still reasonable if you came across it, and, and that's for a nice clean copy. I would say this game is deflated actually i think that it is worth 14.99 so if you can find that price definitely pick it up so my opinion is going to be slightly different because we did look it up and the controller will run you like 34 bucks loose so if you get the controller and the game you're spending you know maybe about 40 something bucks but you brought up a good point. If when we bucks. you brought up a good point beforehand. Well, twelve twenty seven plus thirty five, you're looking at forty six bucks roughly. Yeah. So the point you brought up earlier though is if you are buying a fishing controller, you're gonna buy more fishing games. Probably. Right? So if there's several other games that you want to play that are fishing related, you're kind of factoring that into like your overall console cost and that, right? For your overall experience. So I would kind of throw that out a little bit. And I would still factor it in, but like Let's well, just throw that out. I think 30. it makes it more niche in that way. Like, yeah. whereas we could play a game sometimes and just be able to recommend it. Like, I'm not going to recommend this game just on its face value. No. Unless you're going to get the fishing controller. And then you're probably going to get other fishing games too. So if you're a fishing game person, get it. Yeah. Definitely get it. Like, no question. But if you're just a regular person and you're probably not going to get the controller, would I recommend this game? For 13 bucks, eh, eh, but I would recommend you get the controller. See, that's the thing. Even if you're not a fishing person, that is kind of a requirement to play any of these games, yeah. I think. And you're going to get the full-blown experience doing it that way. So I would say it's still deflated given the quality of this game. If, you've, if you're looking for that controller to play these types of games, and any game that involves fishing or might use that reel... This is definitely a low-cost entry point type of game to get that full-blown experience. So I think regardless, this is deflated. I'm going to go with... I can't go with deflated. You know, just right? I'll go with just right. Okay. So it's deflated, folks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, we've got people here. Uh, doorbell just rang. D and D will be starting here pretty soon. I got to cook food. Uh, it is. Um, I don't know, Ryan. What time is it? What time is it? It's uh, 
551 on a Sunday, June 4th. And this has been episode 238 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.